0: Write a short story every week. It's not possible to write 52 bad short stories in a row. Ray Bradbury. Welcome to Angry Typewriter. Podcast about writing and the writing life. I'm Paul, and today's episode is about a neglected form of fiction, the short story, because May is short story month. I hope everyone's staying inside and staying well during this ongoing difficult time, and that you're writing. Now, it's both sad and surprising that the short story is a neglected art form today, both for writers and readers. Especially considering how short our attention spans have become. You'd think that it would be a perfect medium for us. There was a time not so long ago when writers from Arthur Conan Doyle to F. Scott Fitzgerald to Stephen King could make a living selling short stories to newspapers and magazines. Of course, newspapers and magazines have gone the way of the dodo as well. And that's a shame, because short stories are both fun to read and fun to write. So my challenge to you is to write some short stories during this short story month, and read some as well. You can find any number of collections at your local library. And as an example for you, I offer one of my own. Because if I can do it, you can too. Keep on writing. The Midway by Paul Combs. The night is clear and pleasantly cool. Sal and Julia walk through the traveling carnival that has arisen overnight in the parking lot of Rangers Ballpark in Arlington, home of the Major League Baseball team. The team is on a road trip to the West Coast to finish out the season, and the stadium owners have seized the opportunity to make some money with their otherwise empty parking lot. Lights flash, music blares and rides thunder. Preschool-aged children squeal with terror and delight on the mini roller coaster with cars the shape of a long Chinese dragon. Older kids munch popcorn and cotton candy as their parents wolf down giant corn dogs and turkey legs, and teen boys try to win huge stuffed animals for their dates. It's a controlled chaos, and Sal loves it. It is in Coney Island, where his dad took him a few times as a kid. Or even Asbury Park but it'll have to do. I have to warn you Sal says the Midway is a dangerous place for me. Really she asks why's that? I have a weakness for carnival games he answers and the inability to resist carnies. Oh no she gasps in mock terror. Should we escape while we can? No I'll try to remain strong there was actually very little chance of Sal remaining strong. Some people have a weakness for alcohol or drugs or food or sex. Sal's great weakness was the midway and the carnies. The carnival games beckoned to him from the moment he entered an amusement park, the state fair, even a church fall festival. It was odd because he rarely gambled on horses or cards or sports. So it wasn't a gambling weakness. It was a carney weakness. They called out to him, and he followed, like the snakes following St. Patrick out of Ireland. The night starts out well enough. They watch some little kids ride goats twice their size, eat corn dogs, and ride a few rides. On the Chamber of Horrors ride, Julia snuggles up to him the entire time, even though the chamber contains no actual horrors and not much that's even mildly scary. Then as they're walking to the ferris wheel for a view of Arlington at night. Disaster strikes. Hey there, says a deep raspy voice. Win a prize for the pretty lady. Sal should have just kept walking. He knew what would happen if he turned to the carny, but just like the girl in the horror movie always opens the door she knows she shouldn't, he always heeded the call of a carny. To walk past, to admit defeat at the outset, something his pride would simply not allow. He stops and turns. As soon as he sees the carny, the game, and the prize, he knows he's screwed. The game is one of his least favorites, one where you have to toss two softballs into a peach basket and both have to stay in the basket for you to win. It's such a rigged game they don't even bother with the escalating prize system where you drop a ton of cash by winning small prizes that have to be traded up for bigger ones, like trading venial sins for mortal ones. The Peach Basket softball scam has only one giant prize, but it's nearly impossible to win, like shooting the entire red star out of the target with a BB machine gun. While seeming like it should be simple, so you just keep dropping more and more money, the prize at this booth is an enormous purple gorilla and Sal can see immediately that Julia loves it. Throughout history, men of all ages have done far dumber things to impress a girl, but few have had the deck as stacked against them as Sal does this night. Not only is the game nearly impossible to win, the carny is impossible to resist, even more than normal carnival folk. That's because, in what can only be the universe blatantly mocking Sal, This bearded beanpole has not one, but two lazy eyes. Every time he speaks, they spin around crazily, completely independent of each other, like someone is turning separate cranks inside his skull. When those eyes spin and he says, come on, give it one more try for the little lady, Sal is helpless. The game sounds easy, as all midway games do. One peach basket with a large hump in the bottom set at a roughly 45 degree angle at the back of the booth, two softballs, and a giant gorilla. Get both balls to stay inside the basket and win the gorilla. Problem is, the first ball always stays in the basket, while the second always bounces out like it's been shot out of a cannon. Sal's theory has always been that before the second throw, the carny engages a spring of some sort in the humped part of the basket that is wound tight enough to launch a shuttle into orbit. It sounds crazy, but... The cost of the game is $2 for two softballs, which is cheap enough. If he can spend just a few dollars to get the big monkey, then no problem. The first ball nestles softly in the basket, causing that moment of exhilaration one always feels on the verge of winning. The second ball bounces back so hard, it flies over his head. Julia laughs. He slaps down two more dollars. Again, the first ball settles gently into the bottom of the basket. He tosses the second even more lightly. It shoots straight up in the air and hits one of the purple gorillas. When he's ten dollars down, Julia suggests they just walk away. I don't have anywhere to put a giant purple gorilla in my place, she says half-heartedly. Don't give up now, my boy, the carny goads, spinning one eye while rolling the other up and down. Two more balls, Sal says. The ensuing series of throws go this way. In the basket, over his head. In the basket, over the top of the booth. In the basket, into the forehead of a bystander who leans in too close. At $20 down, a crowd is gathered around the booth. Some encourage him. Others stare at the Carney's eyes. Julia has stopped protesting, drawn in by the same lazy-eyed hypnosis that has gripped Sal. You're getting close, son, the Carney assures him. I can feel it. He slaps two bills down on the narrow railing. Two more balls. One ball in, one not. At $50 down, it seems that all other activity on the midway has ceased suspended in the ether as Sal wages war with this diabolical peach basket and, by extension, this demonic carny. Everything has disappeared from his consciousness. The crowd, the noise, even Julia. As the second ball skitters out of the basket for the 25th time, Julia puts her hand on Sal's cheek, forcing him to look at her. If you're trying to impress me, she says sweetly, trying to break the Carney's hypnotic grip with a hypnosis of her own. You did that $20 ago. Now you're starting to freak me out a little. Sal ignores her plea and pulls the remaining cash from his pocket. Three crumpled $1 bills and enough ride tickets for the Ferris wheel and the tilt-a-whirl. He also holds his jacket back just far enough for the Carney to see his gun. I've got enough for one more try, he tells the Carney. And what time did you say you got off work, friend? Julia shakes her head, then kisses him on the cheek. She cannot see the gun from where she stands. Go ahead, she says, and steps back so she won't be injured when the second ball inevitably rockets out of the basket. Try not to put your eye out, she adds, then flushes crimson as she looks at the Carney's eyes. But the Carney's expression has changed, and amazingly, his eyes have stopped moving. He's turned white as a sheet. On a date, huh? asks the Carney in a higher-pitched voice than before. He watches Sal with one eye and Julia with the other, then nods gravely at Sal. I feel really good about this one. You're due. Sal hands the man two dollars and throws the first ball, which remains lodged in the basket as always. Before he can throw the second, the carny stops him. That one's scuffed, he says. Use this one. The ball he hands Sal must weigh three times more than the others. Sal looks at him and the carny nods, his expression sheepish and conspiratorial at the same time. He throws the heavy ball. It lands in the basket with a loud thud, cracks two of the wooden slats and stops dead. The carney breathes a sigh of relief, and grabs a long pole to retrieve one of the purple gorillas from its hook. Julia throws her arms around Sal's neck and kisses him, long and soft. The crowd behind him erupts with joy and relief, then quickly disperses. Julia takes the gorilla from the carney, and Sal shakes his hand. Keep it honest, Sal says, trying to look into both eyes at once. Right says the carney, and if you don't mind me saying, Maybe you should consider avoiding the midway from now on. It seems to make you a little nuts. Julia nods in agreement and leads Sal away from the booth. They walk hand in hand to the Ferris wheel, Julia clutching a purple ape almost as big as she is. They decide to skip the tilt-a-whirl and ride the Ferris wheel twice. When they see the lights of the city from the top of the wheel, they know it was the right call. Even the ape seems to agree. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Angry Typewriter. I hope it's been both informative and entertaining, especially for you writers out there. If you're enjoying these podcasts, I hope you'd also consider clicking on the support this podcast link on the anchor site for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep these episodes coming and it will also go a long way toward making this podcast completely ad-free thanks again